There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with today, Steve and Colin. Steve, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a while. Greg's been sitting in that seat for a while. And Greg and I have been talking the last few weeks about things that we've learned over the past quarter century of being in this job. And Steve, you've been in the job just as long. And there's a lot of things, a lot of evolution to our job that's occurred in that quarter century, going back to the early stock picking days and more recently to more coaching and planning as what we offer to clients. And on that note, we are very pleased to have a special guest join us today, someone who I got a chance to meet at Future Proof a month or so ago down in California. And this guy is the founder of a company called Shaping Wealth. His name is Brian Portnoy. Brian is one of the world's leading experts on the psychology of money, and we've been fortunate enough to have a few behavioral people on our show, but Brian has written multiple best-selling books, including The Geometry of Wealth. He's got lots of experience as an investor and educator in the hedge fund and mutual fund industries. He's a CFA charter holder. He also has a PhD, Steve, from the University of Chicago. So Brian, I know this is the highlight for anybody's career. Welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. (laughs) This is awesome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for being on. So I guess to kick it off, Brian, tell us your story. Where are you joining us from today? So I'm joining you from one mile west of Wrigley Field, which is relevant for two reasons. One, I'm in Chicago, which is home, city I love. And two, though our listeners can't see it, Colin's wearing an LA Dodger shirt. (laughs) His team, so to speak, made the playoffs, but mine didn't. So yeah, sitting here in Chicago, been living in Chicago, raised our kids here over the last 30 years or so. I've been on a long journey that started in politics and went through academia, long time with investment analysis, portfolio management, investor education, got bitten by the behavioral science bug in the early 2010s, loved it so much, I ended up writing a few books in the space and have pivoted my career pretty sharply away from investment management toward the wealth management industry, where you can really be doing great work for people, for your friends, for your neighbors, for your community. And the way that I'm trying to make a difference is with this company that I founded called Shaping Wealth. We're promoting and training advisors and talking to clients on this thing called human-first financial guidance. We want to get past customers, even get past clients. We want to understand the human condition, how money attaches to the human condition. And there's a lot of interesting conversations that you can have on that topic, a lot of interesting and powerful skills that a financial advisor can have as it relates to that. You bring up something in your answer there that always resonates with me. And I've asked this question many times over the years, and that is the word client. Client to me reminds me of going to the hospital or going to the doctor. It seems like it's cold. In your work in behavioral finance, 
and this is just a question that we didn't have written down, what's a better word than client to describe somebody you're working with to help them achieve their lifetime goals? Yeah. So the fact that it's hard to identify the perfect word with where the industry is right now, when it's hard to come up with the right word in a particular domain, you know that's where the action is. Okay. Because when we have very clear words and vocabulary and syntax for a problem or a domain, okay, we're in good shape. When we're grappling with something and hey, what do we call this? that's where you know that you could possibly fall into a ditch, but also achieve new heights. So client is sort of fine and human is a little bit goofy. I don't know what the right word is. To me, what I would want to stress is that I do think there's an important distinction between client-centric and human-centric advice. With client-centric advice, to your point, it can be a little bit cold. The advisor is a bit of an order taker. Hey, at age 63, I want to retire with $2 million. Okay, great. Well, that's not really a goal. It's a number and a date, but let's just say that that's, you say that that's a goal. And the advisor or advisory team is now on the case to serve that demand. And you sort of take it as it is. Human centric advice, by contrast, is a much deeper engagement. It involves coaching. Now, most advisors don't want to be life coaches per se, but at the same time, most advisors that I know want to include coaching techniques in their advice practice. And there you could really get into a more productive conversation, not just about what a client wants to have and do, but who they want to be, such that at at a certain point, the advice process becomes transformative for everybody involved. And again, you got to be careful with words. You don't want to overstate or oversell it. But when we think about our clients as humans first and clients second, we've opened a door to an amazing space where we can delight and empower them in ways that they probably never imagined before. That's an interesting point because like even for our own business, Brian, we only deal with a select number, like a very few households. And what it allows us to do is spend meaningful time with our clients, air quotes, But over these years of 20 years dealing with these clients, they don't seem like clients. There's this very personal relationship that you build with them over time. They become friends almost in this obligation to look after their needs, not just from a financial perspective, but, you know, the overarching human centric portion of it. It's very different. And I think that's why I find this industry very rewarding. One of the important distinctions we make at Shaping Wealth is thinking of advisors as mechanics versus guides. I think we're at the part of the evolution of the industry where I think we understand that we're helping people along life's journey, squarely on the financial bits, but we also know that money is connected to every other part of our life, our financial health, our emotional health, our spiritual health, it's all interconnected. And so along that journey, we are both mechanic and guide. And the mechanical piece is well understood. This is building the right portfolios, purchasing the right insurance, having the right estate, optimizing for taxes, all of those domains that are to some extent engineering problems. And you can be better or worse at them, but they are somewhat solvable. And there's an enormous amount of training that brings advisors and advisory teams along. But then you can build kind of a beautiful engine. You could build a great financial plan 
But then you can ask also, well, are we even headed in the right direction? Because a well-running car heading in the wrong direction isn't going to be a satisfying journey. And guidance is not just a function of being a people person or having a gut instinct for what makes us tick. It's actually a skill. It's a wide-ranging skill that uses disciplines like behavioral finance, positive psychology, emotional intelligence, neuroscience, and other fields that give us tools in our toolkit to really help bring people along. So we have found, because we work with thousands of advisors all over the world, that guidance framework is very well received. So you guys are guides. I don't know what that makes your clients or your friends or your partners or your followers or whatever, but thinking of advisors as guides in addition to mechanics is another window into this so-called human-centric movement. Yeah. And in your journey, going from, interestingly, from politics to, what did you say, academia to investment management to behavioral finance, you've also evolved, right? And I got a question for you as specific to behavioral finance. Now, number one, we spell behavioral finance different than you do because we spell behavior different in Canada. Yes. You can have your extra you. (laughs) My business partner, Neil Bage, is British. So we have this fake argument all the time. But behavioral finance gets a lot of attention these days, and I get worried sometimes that it's used as a selling feature versus an actual thing. So how important do you think this area is to end users? Bit of a loaded question, that being the retail clients, the retail investors, and how are people doing this well and how are they not doing this well? Well, let me go from back to front. I think the industry has screwed this up so badly, and part of my mission is to fix it. So the part that's being done badly is that we took the work of a few geniuses like Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky and extracted from that almost entirely a narrow focus on so-called biases, biases and heuristics. Heuristics is a fancy word for shortcuts that our brain takes to make decisions. And that focus on biases is a problem because there's no getting around the fact that the word bias has a negative connotation. So the way behavioral finance, the psychology of money, intersection of finance and psychology, the way that that's been deployed in the wealth management or financial advice industry, I use those terms interchangeably, is to basically enumerate a list of ways in which our clients are irrational and step into the breach saying, oh, okay, I'm going to help you be better because you don't know what you're doing. And irrational is an economist's fancy word for stupid. We've taken on this medical model in the advice business where we diagnose our clients as broken and then we try to fix them. And this has not worked. It has not worked. We need to put things in reverse, step way back along our evolutionary chain and say, well, why are we the way that we are? And if we had a few hours, we could talk through some of the key principles of evolutionary psychology. I'd summarize it all with three words, survive and thrive. We have to survive every day. We don't have to thrive every day, but that's the instruction in the instruction manual. And the way that we've survived and thrived is a countless number of adaptations. I wouldn't call them biases. I'd call them adaptations where we process information in a certain way, feel emotions in a certain way, make decisions and form habits in a certain way, ultimately achieve happiness in one way or another. All of that is baked into this idea of behavioral finance, but the industry has taken such a narrow view on it. The corrective that's taking place in this so-called human-first financial guidance movement, of which I am a part, 
is saying, no, let's ask what makes us tick. Let's think about the fact that the brain that we have running between our ears right now is roughly the same brain that our ancestors had 130,000 years ago. Money was invented 2,700 years ago. The first coin is known as the Lydian coin. The kingdom of Lydia is what is now Turkey. And money is, call it 3,000 years old. Our brains are 100,000 years old. These things weren't built to get along very well. And so we have a whole set of very natural reasons for why making good money decisions, forming good money habits is so difficult. This is the hard work that needs to be done. And among dozens of things, advisors need to get over themselves on this bias stuff. They need to give their clients permission in one way or another to talk about the things that clients really want to talk about, which is not the earnings estimate on the S&P 500 or the price of oil or some investment trend, but to answer the one question that is on everybody's mind, am I going to be okay? It's really the only question that matters. It's what they want to know. Am I going to be okay? Are my loved ones going to be okay? Give them permission, create that space to have that conversation. Go beyond that and validate that they are not alone in that search for an answer, that everybody is trying to figure this out. And lo and behold, and we see this with our clients, our students, so to speak, is that you open up these spaces where amazing conversations can take place. So behavioral finance, I don't know if I, it certainly wasn't a crisp answer to your question, <laughs> but behavioral finance is fine when we think about better and worse ways of making certain types of decisions. But the broader question is, well, what is the human experience of money? Why is this so damn hard and how can we do better? On that note, where I see behavioral finance going wrong in my field, in my seat, is that People think that by identifying biases, that that's good enough. And what you're saying is that it's not good enough just to identify that somebody has demonstrated hindsight bias. It's how do you help them solve the question of, are they going to be okay? Do I got that right? When you ask the right question, you might actually come up with the right answer. If the attitude of the advisor is, well, I'm an expert on markets, investments, insurance, maybe even human biases. Okay, well, the relationship between expert and novice is less healthy than the relationship between guide and journeyman. I would choose the latter if you not only want to do virtuous work as a planner, but also build a stronger business because those sorts of experiences that you can deliver are referral worthy and you will grow considerably. If at this point in the market, you are delivering just investment advice, trying to pick better stocks or funds, trying to structure an estate better than the next team, boy, you're going to have a hard time competing. You're going to have a hard time explaining your value. No, for sure. Well, so Brian, you have this OCBO offering that Shaping Wealth provides, and I can see with your hat You've got your symbols there. Swag. He's got yeah, swag on. Yeah, he's got on. some swag on. I have swag. Yeah. Tell us about it. Not the swag, but the OCBO. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OCBO. Well, so for the listeners, that's Outsourced Chief Behavioral Officer. So stepping back a bit, Shaping Wealth is a learning and development platform for the global wealth industry, training advisors in human-first financial guidance 
some years ago, as I wrote The Geometry of Wealth and was working in the advice business for many years, I just saw a huge gap in what's being trained to whom. A lot of mechanics being trained, relatively few guides. So generally speaking, Shaping Wealth is an L&D platform with a variety of courses, coaching programs, content, community, and so forth. One of the perspectives we have is that there is value in any organization for someone to be responsible for, or if not responsible for, oversee sort of how decisions are made, habits are formed. So in any financial services, you have a chief investment officer, you have a chief operating officer, you have the chief executive officer, you have the chief talent officer. Well, who's responsible for great client outcomes? And what sorts of skills does that involve in terms of understanding? Back to our earlier point, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a human trying to make good money decisions? Some of the biggest firms in the world have a chief behavioral officer. Very, very few. 99 point something percent of advice firms are not going to have a CBO. They've never even heard of what that is. And at the same time, they want better decisions, better habits, higher well-being. My vision for Shaping Wealth is that we are going to be the world's premier outsourced chief behavioral officer, OCBO. And so we've built this platform, subscription-based, inexpensive, where over the course of a month or a quarter or a year, you're going to get hundreds of bite-sized, applicable, impactful insights and tools that you can use in your practice to drive better conversations with clients, but also to increase your own skills to have better conversations within your team about all of the countless dimensions of applied behavioral finance and positive psychology and emotional intelligence. So OCBO is a beautiful dashboard. It's free, by the way. There's a bunch of stuff on there that's free. So you just go to shapingwealth.com, click on OCBO, sign up for free. You get lots of good stuff. And then there's a premium level, a subscription level, where we have shareable content, that you can use for client conversations, snackable coaching experiences that involve continuing education credit. So we launched it less than a year ago. We've got hundreds of members and we're just thrilled with where this is going. That's awesome. And one of the things you mentioned on your website as I was perusing it, and by the way, Steve, are we recommending Shaping Wealth to any of our listeners out there? Absolutely. Of course we are. Otherwise we wouldn't have Brian on the show. But one of the things you mention on your website, Brian, is this idea of funded contentment. Could you just explain to people what you mean by that? Yeah, Colin, thanks. It's not one of the things. It's the thing. The thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, our company's mission is funded contentment for everyone. So page one of the Geometry of Wealth, which I published in 2018, but in some ways kind of collected my thoughts over the course of my entire adult life as to what is a life well-lived. And then secondly, where does money fit into that? The book was ultimately written for my kids so that at some point they could read this and hopefully do well, be well. Page one, I make a distinction between being rich versus being wealthy. Being rich is the quest for more, and there's nothing wrong with that. But most quests for more are ultimately unsatisfying because when you get more, what do you want next? Even more. It's actually the way we're wired, and we'll skip the brain chemistry for why it, that's true, but it is true. On the other side of the equation from rich is wealthy. And I define true wealth as the ability to underwrite a life that is meaningful to you. I call this funded contentment. Funded contentment is the ability to underwrite a life that is meaningful to you. 
I had spent a long time in the industry as portfolio manager, analyst, investor, and I was really focused on the funded piece, on the getting rich piece, in a good sense, making good investment decisions on behalf of my clients or my firm's clients. And that's totally fine. But what the funded contentment idea does is unlock the conversation on why. Why do I want to be making better decisions? Why do I want to turn a million into two million and two million into four million? Well, when we can understand that there are these deep underlying sources of contentment in our life, and that is the substance of the geometry of wealth, then we can really invest with purpose. And I wrote somewhere in that book and sort of allow myself to quote myself that you achieve true wealth through the calibration of purpose and practice. Answer first, what's important to you? And I deliver a whole framework on our deep sources of contentment. Answer what's important to you and then figure out, okay, well, what does it cost to afford those things? How do I underwrite those things? It creates, as we alluded to earlier in the conversation, a completely different conversation between advisor and client because this is actually what the clients want to talk about. That's a great answer. When I think of it, I think about financial planning. And our industry uses financial planning as literally a sales tool for the most part. And people will often ask me this question, well, how much money do I need to retire? I said, well, I don't know. How much do you plan on spending? Because you can retire at any age with any amount. just depends on what you want your life to be like. That's what you're saying there, right? Is that you've got to figure out not how much money you need, but how much money you need to fund the things that are going to bring you happiness that will then equal how much money you need. Is that right? Yeah, the way you wrapped that up was just was spot on, Colin. And I'd layer on top of that and a really important word, which is enough. So the answer you might give to your client's question is, well, you can retire when you have enough. The thing is, enough isn't a number. Enough is a story. It's a story that we tell about the life that we want to live. And I'm talking about communities. Most people are fortunate enough to have food on the table, a warm home to live in. There's a different set of problems where that's not the case. But in our community, thankfully, those are not the concerns. The concern is, well, how do I define what you know the good life is and, and what does that cost? And in some cases, it costs a lot less than you might suspect. And in other cases, maybe it costs more. But when we talk about human versus client, this is the transformative experience. This is where the client kind of dig in and explore either by themselves or with their partner or with their kids or their family. Well, what is that life that I want and can I afford it? And then the planner can intervene. They can create a a structure. And now we have a plan as a verb as opposed to plan as a noun, because you're right. It is just a sales and marketing tool for certain firms. But if you truly engage in planning, i.e. a transformative experience that is ongoing and adaptive, oh boy, now you're really doing amazing work with and for people. Well, and Brian, I will tell you, so it sounds like we're on the right track because over a decade ago, we decided that we'd ask all our clients this question, what's important to you that requires planning, money, and time? All in an effort to get an understanding of what it is that they're looking for. What kind of life do they want? into that future. And I found that it's eliminated a lot of the need to focus on earnings. Rate of return? Rate of return, performance of the market. 
it kind of eliminates the need for the most part to talk about the portfolio. Yeah. And I find that the conversations are deeper. And I think that's why we've developed these great relationships with our clients. Yeah. Air quotes. Air quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's where the industry is heading and different people will get there in different ways. Some don't want to get there. Some want to focus on the investments and markets. And that's fine because there are maybe clients who want to have that as their focus. I'm, I'm not saying that the way I'm framing things is right for everyone, but I think that there can be a lot of good done by our industry globally because we have clients in the US, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, India, Germany. We're all over. There is an appetite for these conversations about funded contentment. Everybody wants funded contentment, including the advisors. And so it creates a really warm, inviting space to plan for these things. Mm-hmm. Quick story. I had somebody come in the office, I don't remember, 2018 maybe. And they said, oh, geez, the market's way down, hey? And it was during a period, Brian, when the stock market was actually positive for once. And I looked at them, I said, what, what, what do you mean the market's down? Which market are you referring to? And he said, oil. I said, oh, I didn't realize that oil was the market. I mean, yeah, it is a market, but it's not the market. So the interesting part to me is from your previous answer was, I think people, for the most part, just don't really know what to focus on. Because they get trained to look at the news, see the price of oil on a daily basis, the Dow Jones, the TSX in Canada, the dollar. And then that's what they talk to you about. When in reality, as you say, the underlying or root question is probably more like, do I have enough? Am I going to be okay? Things like that. So how do you untrain people from getting caught in those shiny objects that they're surrounded by being headlines that they don't really need? In the same way that we raise our children properly through modeling as opposed to words, you, through the course of your practice and the way that you talk about things, you focus on what you think is important, what is very likely important to them. Let's get really boring for a second. Let's think about the typical meeting between advisor and client. So every six months you sit down. The way that many of those meetings go is that you start out with a market overview. (laughs) I mean, you laugh, but it's true. What's going on in the market? Okay. And then secondly, well, how's your portfolio doing in light of what's going on in the market? Guys, you're completely off the rails. You've gone in a completely wrong direction. You can't even back up at that point. Maybe you can wrap up, go from markets to portfolio to goals or how's it going. But if you come at the conversation with the meeting structure totally differently, you're going to have a different sort of relationship. So Advisors complain about their clients all the time and old school biases, recency bias, availability bias, confirmation bias. Well, what is the information architecture that you've built so that your clients aren't beset with these sorts of challenges? Or if you're actually having a proper long-term conversation about the life that they want to live, who the hell cares what the price of oil is? <laughs> yeah. Who cares if one of their investments is down 50%? I mean, there's certain skill there that you want to make sure the portfolio is being built in prudent ways. And that's a different conversation from a previous career that can get screwed up. But for the most part, that's not that difficult of a problem. I have two co-founders. One of them, Dr. Joy Leary, is a PhD in psychology, practicing clinical therapist. And she has a great line that the soft skills are the hard skills. As an industry, we kind of poo-poo 
the psychological, that squish, it's mush, it's woo-woo. You know what? That opinion is BS. You know why? Because it takes that much more work to really understand what makes us tick. We'll spend years getting undergrad and graduate degrees in finance and accounting and investing and so forth to understand the markets and investing or insurance or states or taxes or whatever. And we think we can do a one-hour seminar about behavioral finance and understand what make people tick. <laughs> it's kind of infuriating if you think about it. It's just ludicrous on its face. So if you actually care about your clients, if you actually care about them as human beings, which means you need to know how they tick, how they work, where do these fears come from? What drives joy, envy, greed, anger, all of the things? Well, buckle up. You got to learn. And this is learnable. Wow. You know what? I think we should end the formal part of our interview right there, because I don't think we can get a better answer than that. But we do have an informal part of our interview that I don't know if I mentioned at the beginning. Uh-oh. Is this a surprise lightning round or something? It is. It's speed round. It's just very short, very short, just to hear your human element. So, Steve, do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah, for sure. So, Brian, tell us, what do you do for fun when you're not working? I play with my dog. I run. I try to find time with my wife and friends here in Chicago. Cool. What kind of dog? A cavapoo. Never heard of that. Cavapoo. I, I've heard of that. Interesting. Cavapoo is half poodle, half king cavalier spaniel. Freddie is the love of my life. He's my best friend. I got three dogs myself. Yeah. My wife wants a cavapoo. She keeps talking about, we have a sheepadoodle and a poodle. I say, that's enough. Cavapoos are, yeah, they're good dogs. They've become pretty popular. Yeah. Yeah. Any books you're reading right now? Ha! Yes, I am writing a speech right now. I'm giving a keynote address in a couple of weeks on work, identity, and meaning in the age of AI. And so I'm reading a number of books about work, meaning, and identity. So one is called The Good Enough Job by Stolzoff, Simone Stolzoff, The Good Enough Job. Another one called Future Proof, Nine Rules for Humans in the Age of Automation by Kevin Roos, and not Future Proof, the conference, Colin, just happens to be the name of this particular book. I'm reading another one called Life 3.0 by Max Tetmeyer, which is really about kind of the human brain in the context of all of these advances in artificial intelligence. This isn't your speed round topic, but this issue of AI, I am just fascinated by. Oh, I think we could do multiple episodes on AI, and maybe we will do that in the future. What about any shows you're watching? Do you binge anything when you're not reading and hanging out with the dog and your wife? Absolutely. So we just binged a show, I think it's on Apple TV, called Platonic with Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. So we just made it through that. I was super late to the Ted Lasso party, so I actually just finished season three, the final season for that, not that long ago. So those are the two that come to mind. The last question is, I know you live in Chicago. This is pretty easy to spell Chicago. I grew up in a place called Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And we have asked all of our U.S. guests that have come on this show, how do you spell Saskatchewan? Saskatchewan. S-A-S-K-A-T-C-H-E-W-A-N. Oh my God, you got it right. I'm not lying. You are the first U.S. guest that has ever spelled it correctly. And those other guests are people that you know. 
without sounding like a total a-hole, I'm pretty good at trivia. (laughs) (laughs) So you want me on your trivia night at the pub. I like being that guy. I did just guess, but I saw the letters in my eyes, so I just read them. They sell t-shirts in Saskatchewan. It says, easy to draw, hard to spell, because it's basically just like a rectangle-ish. Rectangle, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciated you doing that. It was a great conversation. Thank you for doing that. This was a lot of fun. We could keep going, so maybe we'll connect another time as well. I'm taking that as an open invitation to have you back on the show in the future. This is how I'm taking that. Yeah, yeah. Let's have some fun. I love this stuff, guys. And it sounds like you're doing fantastic work. And it's still a relatively small community of people doing this sort of work. So let's just tell the story. People need to hear it. Awesome. Thanks again, Brian. You bet. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.